and welcome to 2021's first full episode of Accommodation Matters. This time we'll be discussing environmental sustainability. I'm Darren Ellis, Unite Students Higher Education Engagement Director. We're the UK's largest provider of purpose-built student accommodation, housing around 76,000 students in 180 properties, which are based in 27 leading university towns and cities. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Andy Nolan, Development and Sustainability Director at the University of Nottingham, Jade Munro, Interim Director of Education at SOS UK, which is the National Union of Student Sustainability Charity, representing 7 million students in higher and further education, and James Tiernan, Head of Energy and Environment at Unite Students. Thank you all so much for joining me. Sustainability is all about doing the right thing, balancing environmental, social and economic needs, including issues like social justice, diversity and inclusion, well-being and the environment. We'll be looking at some of these in future episodes of the podcast, but today we're kicking off with a focus on environmental sustainability, specifically climate change. Over the last few years, climate change has been in the spotlight more than ever before. We've seen international school strikes inspired by Greta Thunberg, disruptive tactics employed by Extinction Rebellion and environmental protests all hitting the headlines. So first, I'd like to go to Andy for a bit more context. Why do environmental issues and especially climate change resonate so much with universities now? Hi, Darren. Uh, Great question. Um, I think there's a number of reasons why universities are so uh, engaged in this topic right now. Uh, Firstly, you know, I think it's worth recognising that an 18-year-old student uh, at the University of Nottingham now was born in 2003. And, you know, since the turn of the millennium, uh, we've seen nothing but heightened awareness of of climate change. And, And the students that we're seeing through have come through with an education in it through their schools, through GCSEs and A-levels. And they've probably seen and heard more about climate change on mainstream press, in the media um, and on TV in particular. And and so access to information, uh, I think, you know, the the work that um, governments have done, that the United Nations have done over the last uh, couple of decades, has certainly meant that climate change is a much more prominent and well understood issue now. And I mean, I remember when I was at university, uh, back in the early to mid 90s. And, um, you know, we were still sort of, you know, very much a, a, a niche kind of topic. Um, it wasn't as mainstream as it is now. I think the other thing to work, you know, to, to recognise is that our students come from all over the world. You know, the, the, there's 200 nationalities represented across all of the activity that we're involved in. And so, you know, some of those um, students and, and staff indeed have been exposed to real the real extreme effects of climate change in the countries that they've they've grown up in. So it's very, very real for many of our students and it's becoming a, an increasingly important issue for them, whether they're UK or international students. And I think they come to university expecting universities to respond to the challenges, mainly around mitigation, I have to say. I think there's a lot of emphasis on how we can reduce our environmental impact and, and our impact particularly on greenhouse gases and climate change. Um, But I think that increasingly we're recognising that the world is going to have to adapt to a climate that is already changing, has already changed, will continue to change in the future. 
and they're a lot closer to to this in terms of their futures. Um, you know, it's going to be their children and certainly their children's children that are going to be exposed to to many of the kind of locked in climate change that we can expect. So uh, definitely a big thing around, uh, you know, students recognise this as a priority. They've lobbied the university on these matters, on issues of divestment and commitment to reducing carbon emissions. But increasingly, yes, we're seeing uh, institutionally, there's a sort of democratic buy-in to this as well. So a couple of years ago, we started to consult on our new university strategy and uh, going through a series of green papers and white papers, um, we were we were not shocked, but we were very pleased to see such a high commitment from within our staff um, across our campuses in Malaysia, China, and uh, here in the UK, uh, recognising that climate change and sustainability was, should be central to our university strategy, and that plays out in our research funding. You know, so there's increasingly emphasis on on big the the big challenges of climate change and the wider sustainable development goals in, in research um, funding but professional standards as well in teaching programs are now requiring students to demonstrate an understanding of climate change and what it will mean and then of course finally my final sort of bit on this really is around the operational uh, elements to this so universities have been expected to develop climate uh, plans and carbon management plans and we went through that process through 2010 and we i'm delighted that at nottingham we were able to achieve our targets uh, for 2020 but now now it's getting really tough and to meet the paris agreement goals and, and targets of net zero by 2050 is going to be much much more challenging but universities know that they have a role to play in the cities and the towns that they're based in they have a, a commitment to their own staff and students, but there's also cost and risk associated with not doing this. So absolutely, you know, we see ourselves as being integral as leaders within the places that we reside and having a really clear civic role as well. Thank you very much. And, and there's a there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, but I, I think what I just want to focus on really is is that point around young people being at the forefront of the climate change movement. And, you know, that's many students, um, those due to leave school this year and over the coming years, they've all been involved in, in some way. And I'd like to come to Jade, if I might, and say, what is it that makes environmental issues so compelling to young people? Yeah, so here at SOSA UK, we know that students have just consistently been showing interest in environmental issues for years now. We had student interest for the climate crisis at about 75% um, five years ago. And at the moment, it's around over 90% of students are expressing concern about climate change. And against the kind of UK population, it's about 10% more students and concern than kind of the general population. Um, but I think kind of despite this really like growing concern that students are feeling, they're also getting kind of increasingly frustrated by either the lack of progress or maybe the, the slow progress that has been made on environmental issues. And I think without a doubt, it's this kind of mismatch in concern then compared to the action that has just been really motivating students and motivating young people to want to do something or, or anything to get that progress moving. 
And and from my perspective, I think it's been really, really successful in that over the last kind of few years, we've just seen like such huge strides in policy, in awareness, and albeit it might still possibly not be not quite enough or we're not still quite there, but there really just has been like more progress than what we've seen in really previous years. So I think it's something to be extremely proud of. And I know I'm always just like so kind of um, enthusiastic and proud that the students and young people and the role that they're playing in making sure that their voice is heard and that they can make a difference. And I think students have just been incredibly inspired to know that themselves as an individual does ha- like has a role in making some positive changes. For me, the, the other kind of reason why students and young people are finding environmental issues just so compelling at the moment. I think this was touched on by Andy. It's just the range and the breadth of areas and topics that fall within it. So, if, you know, 10 years ago or maybe 20 years ago, those kind of conversations on campus were really focused solely on things like environmentalism being connected with, say, recycling or saving the polar bears. And whilst these topics are still, they're really of interest and they are still really important, we are just now seeing students think about environmental issues in just such a much more kind of holistic and broader manner. So where they're thinking about the climate crisis and the impact that that has on people, on justice, on health, on the local communities. And for me, this is an area that's just really kind of affects so many people and has just such far reaching consequences. And I think students are just really clear in seeing and recognising and understanding these impacts and and the injustice that these um, kind of concerns and the kind of the compelling of wanting to just to not be able to kind of stand idly by. They really want to be able to do something to make a difference. Well, we'll certainly be going to uh, we'll certainly go on and talk a bit more about those actions, you know, potential actions and those have already taken place shortly. But I was really struck there by your point about, you know, the breadth of this area now. And I thought it was interesting to note today that uh, Liverpool, John Moores University, Greenwich and Northampton have all announced uh, climate change degrees for the very first time, which sort of gives you an idea about the absolute breadth of, of this topic. Um James, um, we've already heard, obviously, from Andy and Jade on this, but is this a priority for Unite students as well? And if so, why? Yeah, thanks, Darren. Um, I, I can just really echo a lot of the points that have already been made. But I suppose to, to start with the second point first, you know, how, how are we seeing this? Um, I think Jade has already covered the fact that climate change has been of growing importance and relevance to students. We've, we've seen that through the the sort of evidence that she's talked about there from the NUS attitude surveys but we've also seen it firsthand at Unite Um, you know we get huge levels of engagement and involvement from students around our uh, positive impact scheme that we run with with the NUS it's one of the things that that really seems to um, strike a chord with students something they're really keen to to work with us on Um, but I think it's also not just students that that are pushing this agenda we've seen as you've just mentioned, growing numbers of universities over the last decade or so announcing really ambitious climate targets, net zero targets, and that's that's obviously relevant to us as well. We've seen growing pressure as well from investors in the corporate world as well, whether it's around the financial risk for climate change and the growing recognition that, that your businesses that are effectively managing climate change are generally better managed just across the board. And I think even legislation is starting to catch up with that. We've seen growing um, number of different strands to government policy that are pushing businesses and wider society 
um, to act faster and more deeply on climate change, whether it is around uh, more ambitious minimum energy standards for, for EPCs, or whether it is around corporate reporting with things like TCFD. Um, I think going back to the first bit, does it does it really matter for us at Unite Students? And absolutely it does. You know, this is really, really key to us. I think it's something we've always been focused on. We've made really good progress over the last 10 years or so on, on reducing emissions through improving the building fabric, improving building performance, but also working with our students and our employees to help them understand what they can do. We've made some, some really good progress on reducing emissions already over the last few years, but I think in light of everything that's just been talked about, we've, we've really recognised now that we need to do a lot more and a lot faster, and I think this is reflected in our, our new sustainability strategy, which is targeting net zero carbon by 2030. You know, that's a really ambitious target in line with the sort of targets that the higher education sector and, and many other businesses are starting to pursue now as well. Um, and it, I think it, it really says a lot, the fact that businesses and organizations are signing up to these ambitious targets with a recognition that they're, they're hard to achieve, but um, with an acceptance that they're, they're no longer optional. You know, the demand from um, students, the demand from partners and the, the requirement from government is, is really showing that we need to do more and we need to do it faster. Thank you. Um, that's brilliant. So uh, moving on then. Um, so thank you. Um, Andy, I'd be really interested to know what are some of the main areas of focus that we're currently seeing from the University of Nottingham in this area? Okay, so I think there's been uh, a lot of a lot of thinking done over the last uh, 12 to 24 months really around which direction we go in. Uh, the university's had a reputation for, for being a leader in this area for, for for some time, but I think we've done the easy stuff. And the hard bit now is going to be really tackling some some legacy issues within our estate. So, you know, we, we know that um, we've got a significant challenge in reducing our, our what we call scope one and scope two emissions. The emissions that come from the burning of fossil fuels, gas in particular, uh, and electricity. So we, we really do need to sort of uh, focus in on that. And decarbonising heat is going is, is probably our single biggest challenge uh, in, in sort of operating terms. Uh, there isn't an alternative, you know, there isn't a great alternative out there at the moment that deals with um, heating space and heating water. That Natural gas is a brilliant... So it's a brilliant way of doing that. And um, for years and years and years, the university in the UK have, have sort of developed systems and infrastructure that all work to that. But we know we've got to give up our obsession with gas. We're not going to achieve our carbon reduction targets if we stick to it. So we're going to have to look at new technology. Uh, we're going to have to look at heat pumps in particular. We're going to, you know, we may, there may be a, a, a development around hydrogen in the future. And certainly biogas has got some, some role to play. So I think in terms of scope one and two, decarbonizing heat is going to be our biggest challenge. I think the other learning point for us has been that we're one of the first universities in the country to adopt what we call science-based targets. So these targets are driven by uh, understanding what our net contribution is to the Paris Agreement. So it effectively says, okay, how much of your carbon emissions have you got to reduce by and over what sort of trajectory? And what we've learned from going through that process is that over 80% of our emissions are nothing to do with gas and electricity. 
It's the products and the services that we consume. It's the business travel. It's the paper products that we buy and consume and throw away. It's the water that we pump around our campus and uh, consume. It's the waste. It's the IT equipment. Uh, it's a phenomenally uh, challenging uh, thing for us to kind of embrace because we're going to have to not just change uh, what we buy, but how we deliver our business model. So I think there's there's some, been some really uh, interesting kind of challenges. If 80% of our emissions are scope three, actually in our supply chain, we're going to have to work much harder with our suppliers. We're going to have to set higher standards and expectations around those that deliver services for us. Uh, and we're going to have to think very, very carefully about what we stop doing. And of course, you know, universities are generally uh, quite conservative organisations. And, and, you know, some of the things we're going to have to do, we're going to have to consider very carefully uh, how we teach, uh, the extent to which we expect presenteeism in our staff, and can we move to more agile and hybrid ways of delivering uh, teaching and learning on our campuses and, and research. Uh, and equally, um, you know, how we might choose to conduct business travel in the future as well. So, yeah, lots to go at. Uh, I was just going to just pick out um, one thing in particular there you said, and I, I know it's only 20%, but uh, you talked about scope one and two and decarbonizing heat. But you, you talked about um, almost like a, a, there's not great alternatives. You know, maybe this will develop. And, and there is an argument that some people make that the, te the technology does not yet exist to help us achieve our ambitious environmental target. So I wanted to really ask you, is, is that correct? And, and linked to that, what process do you follow to evaluate new technologies? How do you go about doing that? Yeah, it's a great question, Darren. Um, so I think it's fair to say, you know, we, we've, we have tried out lots of renewables um, on our campuses. Uh, we've, we've tried to be innovative uh, and we've, We've, you know, got showcase um, accommodation on our campus. We've got a carbon neutral laboratory. We've got some of our buildings are built to passive house standards. Um, and we've got a lot of integrated renewables across our campuses. But it's fair to say it's still less than 1% of all the energy demand that we need is produced in that way. So, you know, the technologies do exist, but doing them at scale is going to be a real challenge. Um, and, you know, I'll give you a real example. The university's got a 60-year-old uh, heat network. It's been there for a very long time, serving 20 or so of our major buildings on our University Park campus, and it's at end of life. So we now need to make some decisions around, you know, whether we stick with the heat network, and if we do, what kind of type it is, what pressure, what, what diameter of the pipe work it is. And obviously, we need to decide how we're going to generate the heat that goes into that network. So is it going to be gas boilers? Is it going to be gas CHP? Or is it going to be heat pumps? Uh, or is it going to be something else? And the truth is, it's, it's, we're, at a, we're at a crossroads. Um, I think we're likely to go down the route of heat pumps in some form or other. But heat pumps connected to district heating networks in the UK isn't an established technology. It's not mainstream. So we'll have to look elsewhere and see where the um, see where the opportunities and examples of good practice are in other parts of the world. And um, 
And we do that. You know, we, there's a lot of sharing of good practice within the network. I'm involved in two organizations that, that do just that. The first one is the Environmental Association for Universities and Colleges, who are a network of, uh, yeah, people like me, directors of sustainability, environment managers, waste managers, travel plan coordinators, who will share loads of good practice, really good stuff. And they've really moved the whole agenda on in the last 20 years. Uh, and I also chair the uh, sustainability advisory group for the Association of University Directors of Estates. And again, it's a, it's a place where we share experiences, good and bad, of technologies and approaches. And we try not to uh, replicate mistakes if we can help it. Um, but we are all at that crossroads. Uh, and it's a real head scratcher right now. Um, I think the one thing we can guarantee that we need to do, and we all need to do this, whatever the technology is, is we need to improve the fabric of our buildings. So we do need to be designing buildings that are energy efficient. Uh, and our real challenge is around how we improve the efficiency of our existing building stock, uh, much of which in many of our older universities um, uh, can be quite challenging. Thank you, Andy. And and I, I suppose I wanted to come to you next, um, James, really, and saying, are you seeing, you know, similar priorities and ideas in student accommodation? Uh, and if so, what are the main areas of focus at the moment? Yeah, thanks, Darren. Very, very similar, to be honest. Um, I mean, obviously, Unite focusing purely on student accommodation. We don't have quite the breadth of challenges that, that Andy has across a whole uh, university campus. But obviously, we have got a very large amount of student accommodation so it's it's um it's an area we can focus in on but i think there are a lot of similarities in terms of priorities i think first of all the important issue for us is to really maintain momentum you know this isn't an area that is new to us we've been doing quite a lot to reduce our emissions through uh, energy efficiency in the way that we we generate and purchase renewable power um and we really need to maintain that momentum and, and keep things moving whether it is retrofit of new heating controls or retrofit of air source heat pumps for example to replace direct electric hot water cylinders um, but the second big thing is i think all about setting ourselves up for a successful transition to a sort of net zero footing to, to hit our 2030 target i think the first thing we need to do is really understand what that actually means and and um, as andy mentioned we're going to be working up carbon targets using the science-based targets initiative tool but also then cross-referencing them against something called CREM, which is the Carbon Risk and Real Estate Monitoring Tool, which is specific to real estate that gives us um, a really clear decarbonisation trajectory that we need to follow out to 2030. Um, the next priority then is to figure out, well, how do we actually do that? In terms of each property, asset by asset across 170 properties, what do we need to physically do to first of all drive energy efficiency-led decarbonisation following the, the energy hierarchy before we can then start looking at um, reducing the, the, the carbon intensity of our energy supply um, or finally resorting to offsetting for any residual emissions that, that can't fully be removed. And then I think finally, and key to success for all of this, is really engaging our people. So that's students, it's employees, but also our supply chain, as Andy said, who represent probably the, the lion's share of our entire carbon footprint. It's really key that we help them understand what it is we're trying to achieve, why it's important, and what the part, um, what their part is in all of this. And specifically for that supply chain, a big area of challenge for us is around new developments. Um, 
So new developments, new, new student accommodation buildings represents about two thirds of our, our total carbon footprint um, and are the, the vast bulk of our scope three emissions. And it's a real significant challenge to try and reduce the embodied carbon of a new development. You've got all the materials that go in, you've got all the construction activity going, uh, you've got the travel and transport of materials and, and um, workforce to site. And there's a big carbon footprint associated with all of that. And going back to your earlier point about the reliance on future technologies, I think new developments and reducing embodied carbon from new developments is a, is a real case in point. We just simply don't have all of the technologies to deliver genuinely zero carbon new developments at the moment. Um, so there is going to be quite a, a strong reliance on carbon offsetting um, to get to net zero on new developments. Um, so again, that's another area of focus for us, understanding how we can invest in really credible um, sort of carbon offsetting to achieve net zero developments whilst also focusing on the, the most material opportunities to really reduce the uh, the embodied carbon and also make sure those buildings are net zero carbon in operation as well. Thanks. I just wanted to come back, if I might, James, on a couple of those points. One one is, and it's also a point um, Andy made really clearly, really, which is about sharing of best practice. So the, the sharing of best practice clearly exists within uh, universities. The, there were two bodies that were described for that. How does that work within purpose-built student accommodation? So is there an opportunity to share best practice across across purpose-built student accommodation or indeed with uh, universities and directors of estate so that you know, we we are all working together on what sound like, you know, very significant challenges. I think so, absolutely. And I think, like I said, you know, I'm, I'm quite fortunate and United are quite fortunate in some respects. We haven't got the breadth of challenges that, that Andy has, for example. I don't have to worry about laboratories and lecture theatres and libraries. Um, but we do have a, a huge amount of student accommodation. So we've probably got an opportunity to develop some real expertise in, in some niche areas that can help our university partners achieve their net zero carbon um, targets as well. There are 350,000 beds in purpose-built, 300,000 universe, uh, beds in university halls. Uh, even though there's, as you say, there's much that we, uh, that, that, that there isn't the same overlap with the universities. Just taking, you know, halls of residence, I mean, there must be a huge um, amount we can learn from each other, really. Absolutely. There's there's a lot of similarity in terms of the building stock that's there, the building services that are, that are being used. And similarly, we've got a real diverse range of, of challenges across our portfolio, as do most universities. We've got everything from sort of 18th century priories through to brand new um, near zero carbon new developments. So there's a, there's an awful lot of opportunity and challenge. Um, and I think, as Andy said, sharing information, sharing solutions, sharing learnings, is going to be absolutely key in this. I think it's got to the point where achieving net zero carbon, being a sustainable business, doesn't necessarily offer a competitive advantage. There's no point being secretive about how you're achieving this. It really offers a, a sort of competitive disadvantage if you're not um, doing what you need to be doing. I think there's a great opportunity for us uh, at Unite Students to maybe help our, our sort of uh, competitors across the wider, the, the wider purpose-built student accommodation sector to raise their standard as well you know if we can lead the charge in that small area um, and help share that expertise if it's if it's driving down reductions elsewhere 
um, and helping raise a standard, that can only be a good thing. Thank you. And, and you also mentioned engagement of students and uh, of staff. But if I think particularly of students for a moment and come to you, Jade, uh, against the background that you've just heard from Andy and from James, what behavioural changes have we seen from students themselves and how can we engage and work with them on this agenda? Yeah, so we know that many students are kind of increasingly interested in making their own lifestyle changes to reduce their own kind of individual carbon impact. So we see many students interested in doing things like meat-free diets, going plastic-free, reducing their own kind of energy and water consumption. So definitely anything that helps to kind of provide lots of practical tips and solutions in these areas is really useful for engaging people. So, for example, it might be, I don't know, having lots of water bottle refill, refill points on campus or having a really good coffee cup reuse scheme or a very kind of clear and easy re recycling facilities. And students tell us that they feel really proud when they can see that their institution or their accommodation are, are taking these steps to be sustainable. Um, but I think not only do they want to kind of make their own behavioural changes, we also know that there's just real demand for, for wider organisational and systems change. So I think students are increasingly want to see their institutions working really hard to reduce carbon emissions, um, working towards going net zero, looking at things like ethical investments as well to make sure that their tuition fees are not being invested in unethical industries such as the fossil fuels. So I think management are and they should be making these changes to making sure that the educational sector is operating ethically and really representing the concerns of their students. And then for me, finally, I think one of the biggest demands that we see from students is to incorporate sustainability into learning. So ideally for me, this would be like interwoven across all disciplines. And our last survey, it was over 80% of the students were wanting to see their place of study incorporate sustainability across all courses. Um, but even if an institution isn't quite there there or that's not being offered, I think just making sure that there are many kind of courses and learning opportunities that provide lots of knowledge and skills for students. And not only is this like, it's a really great benefit for students in that they can gain employability skills, they can get really good experience around sustainability that can be used on CVs and to help them kind of secure jobs in the future. It also just really helps to make sure that students are having responsibility for then sharing their knowledge into just like the huge range of industries and sectors that they will then go to work in. And for me, that's one of like the key things that will really put students at the heart of then embedding sustainability just across the board and helping it kind of raise up the agenda. And it just it puts students in a, such a fantastic place of being able to kind of impart their own knowledge and skills to make a huge collective difference in the future as well. Thank you very much. And I, I just wanted to touch on you talked about uh, student sort of behaviour and you talked about sort of 
sustainable living habits right at the start of your sort of answer there. I just wanted to understand, I just wanted to learn from you really. What are the most effective communication techniques with students do you find? How do you, how do you manage to achieve such excellent engagement? I'm thinking of things like, you know, green impact. What, what, what communication techniques have really worked for you? I think it's improving a whole range of different techniques. So firstly, it's about kind of getting knowledge out there. So we know that there's still really gaps in in knowledge when students start university so for us like the first step is just to embed that real kind of foundation of sustainability knowledge for students so that might be things like what can you do to be sustainable in your residence things like how to recycle um, switching off your lights how to kind of um, manage your your waste and your energy use within your accommodation and when you're on campus as well so definitely those kind of first steps of knowledge but then for us it's about I guess taking students on a journey of sustainability so we often see students kind of coming to us with our campaigns that will start off with some kind of basics on sustainability and then it sparks that interest for them and it really sets them off on a journey as to what else can I do and wanting to do more so we definitely then see students really taking their own initiative to wanting to progress to make more differences on campus so that's when we see students joining environmental charities getting involved in kind of environmental actions that are happening within their student union or are happening on campus and wanting to then get those kind of learning experiences and and asking for their university to be reflecting what what they would like to see on campus. Thank you very much. Uh, some absolutely brilliant ideas there uh, from from everyone. Thank you. Um, I'd just be interested to hear, and I am just conscious of time, so perhaps it would be great to have just one key obstacle that that you are all facing really in making this sustainable uh, change. So I, I just wondered, is there sort of one key obstacle that each uh, each of you is facing? And I'm going to start, if I might, with you, Andy. What's on your mind in that area at the moment? So, Darren, yeah, I, I think get, getting it down to uh, down to one obstacle is quite a challenge. I think, <laughs> okay, I, 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 I would say technology certainty um, and and finance are without doubt. Uh, Sort of square and centre of, of my mind at the moment in terms of which uh, which which way do we go? I think there's a you know just picking up on Jade's point really about um, yeah there's there's a real issue for me uh, also an opportunity around responsibility and you know we have a very transient population of students that move through university so it's a constant sense of renewal and repeat and improvement. Uh, and engagement and and that is probably one of the biggest challenges universities face on a whole range of issues and uh, and I would say working in partnership with uh, SOS UK, Unite and others that, that if we can create a sense of responsibility within our student community such that they take ownership of these issues and they do put pressure on the universities I think that would be great. I, I feel like the more engaged and the more informed they are the 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 more likely we are to crack this problem. Brilliant. Thank you. James, your thoughts? I think it's it comes down to um, to engagement and maintaining focus on this. Um, I think there's a lot of competing priorities for organisations. There's a lot of risks to businesses and universities. I think historically climate change in particular has been one of many that have been sort of jockeying for attention. I think I'm, 
I'm feeling quite optimistic now, though, that we've gone past a bit of a watershed. I think probably the last year has helped with that. You know, COVID caused a lot of organizations to confront the fact that some of the really big, massively disruptive risks that they track, which they previously maybe thought were a bit hypothetical or a bit distant, like pandemics and like climate change, can and do happen. And when they do happen, they can be devastating. So it's much better to start planning early, implementing change and mitigating them to head that off. So I think if there's any positives that have come out of the last year, it's maybe taking a significant chunk out of that that barrier of engagement and people taking this seriously. Lovely. Thank you. And Jade, any thoughts on this area for you? Yeah, I agree totally with with Andy and James. I think that having a very joined up approach in institutions and accommodations and students is actually it's just such a fantastic way of doing that. We we know that students have so much enthusiasm in the area, and you know we also know that universities want to be reflecting their student demands and needs. So I think kind of mobilising that enthusiasm and also that willingness to to change and do something will be a fantastic thing. And as James was saying, I think just not having sustainability seen as kind of a nice to have or an add-on and really seeing it as kind of a core thread and theme that runs throughout an institution and throughout a business model as well. Lovely. Thank you. Um, Right, I'd like to hear from all of you on one or two things you've done in the last 18 months that you're most proud of and that shows that real change is possible. Uh, Jade, I'd like to come to you first on this one. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I've just been really impressed with how students and young people have just not let environmental issues fall off the agenda recently. And I think during a pandemic, it would have been really kind of understandable for interest to have reduced or to have kind of been put on pause. But that just like hasn't been what we have been seeing. And and for us, like students have just been really, really embracing new ways of working and adapting to ensure that they can still work on the issues that they care about. So I've just been so proud of what has been achieved over the last 18 months with like hundreds of thousands of students have come together to engage on our sustainability programs and campaigns. They've been getting involved in learning opportunities. We've had young people from over 140 countries come together um, to create a global declaration on what they want world leaders to take action on. So I've just I've been so proud to have been involved in these initiatives and just working with all of the remarkable young people and students that have really been working so hard to create a better and more just future. I think um, it it was great to hear Jade's answer. I, I think I really share her sense of optimism. Um, it really does feel that um, climate change and the broader sustainability agenda it, it has really hit home in the last few years and people are now genuinely taking it seriously, putting it at the centre of, of organisational strategies. I think it's definitely been the case at, at Unite. Uh, I think we're really proud that this week we announced our new sustainability strategy that includes a, a really ambitious net zero target of 2030. Um, and the fact that that comes at the end of 12 months when there has been phenomenal pressure on all organizations and businesses um, and that it hasn't just fallen by the wayside, I think it is cause for real optimism and pride in the in the focus that, that we Unite Students and other organizations like Nottingham and like uh, the NUS have on, on sustainability. Yeah, okay. Uh, I, I think one of the things I'm most proud of is, is ensuring that uh, Sustainability is, is uh, right at the very heart of our university strategy. 
And um, I, I was really pleased that for the first time ever in the university's history, it put the sustainable development goals in its, you know, its top level objectives. Uh, and, and that then manifests itself right across our teaching, research and operations activity. So that's been fantastic. I'm delighted that last June, we produced our estate development framework that put these principles in terms of how we're going to develop our campuses over the next 20 to 30 years so that they are uh, all geared up to being carbon neutral uh, and also looking at a whole range of other environmental factors like water, waste, biodiversity and thinking about future climates. So those two things have been, uh, you know, from a strategic point of view, really important. I'm delighted to say that today, uh, live on the... Um, the iOS uh, app store, uh, we've just launched a new green rewards app, which for me is about engaging staff and students in, and incentivizing them to do the right thing and to promote good behaviors. Uh, and we're doing that across the city of Nottingham. Increasingly, we're rolling that out. So absolutely delighted with that one as well. Many congratulations. That sounds, sounds like there's some very big changes and differences made and, and, and they absolutely demonstrate that real change, you know, is, is indeed possible. Uh, and that is a real cause for optimism. Um, so uh, finally, uh, I'll come to you, Andy, if I may, on this one first. What's your number one tip for anyone listening who would like to live a more sustainable lifestyle? So I would, yes, yeah, a really good question. I, I think. First and foremost, look at some of the, the big areas that you can affect and I think you, where you can make direct choices. And I think particularly for people, it's about diet. Actually, what you eat and where you choose to buy your food from is probably the single biggest influence you can have on your carbon emissions. Uh, second only, you know, probably is transport. Um, for me, without a doubt, it's just that everyone has the power and the voice to make a difference. So like no matter how big or small the actions are that you are taking, there are just so many opportunities to get involved. So it might be from making your own lifestyle changes to calling on leaders to make some bigger systems changes. And we, we've just seen that all of these things really do add up and can make just such huge change. So my number one tip would be without a doubt to just make those changes do whatever you can and know that you are playing your part in kind of whatever shape or form that takes for you sure yeah I, th I think it's just not to underestimate the positive impact that you can have whether it's the sort of things that we've heard already about eating less meat lobbying mps um, or doing something maybe a, a bit less obvious like making sure your pension is invested in sustainable funds net zero carbon funds all of that makes a difference. And I think if the pandemic has shown us anything, it's how the actions of individuals really do matter and can drive bigger positive change. Thank you, James. Um, that's all we have time for today. Thank you to our guests, Andy, Jade and James, and for sharing your insights with us. I've certainly learned a lot today and no doubt our listeners will have done so too. Next month, we'll be joined by a brand new panel to talk about the future of higher education in the UK and what it might mean for student accommodation. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do explore our Podbean channel for previous episodes. We've looked at topics including international students and student well-being. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter at Unite Group for updates on new episodes, as well as our latest articles, videos and announcements. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next month. Take care.